See, maybe that's the difference between like Linux, Apples, and Windows people. Like anything I get, like I'll get a new Blender and I'll read the manual before I even like plug it in. And that's what I do on Linux. Like I'll read something, read all the docs before I use it. You know, maybe it's Windows or Apple people. Like you guys just get stuff and expect it to work. That's because it normally does. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 114 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have uh, Curtis McHale. Uh, hello. Eric Davis. Uh, hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from uh, devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about email marketing. We have our own resident expert here, Eric Davis. Hi. So, uh, how do you do email marketing, Eric? Um, you write marketing messages and you deliver them through email. All right, oh. let's get to the pics. Okay, so that was great. <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard. It's when you describe email marketing, it's like saying social networking or, you know, I have a website. Like it, it can encompass a lot of things. There's kind of, not camps, but there's two kind of ways that I do email marketing that I found that works good for like freelancing type stuff. The first one is kind of the standard one where you have like a monthly newsletter or weekly newsletter that's like, you know, news or like you wrote some content for your clients or that sort of thing. And that's kind of the more technical term they use is like a broadcast email. The other way, which I use a lot of heavily now is like autoresponder drip content style. And that's where, uh, like I was talking about in the pre-show, I have one where it's, let's say, 38. It's like 38 emails. Each one's a week. So it's basically 38 weeks of content that someone signs up and they get it in order. And the the goal of it is that you start from this known starting point and you teach them from that point all the way to the very end. And I have both. I found the, the drip autoresponder style works really good because it gives you a lot of control and you can kind of make it like, you know, like any kind of training or education or lesson plans that you've had in school is kind of similar to that style. Um, and then there's a couple other styles of email marketing, but most of those I don't really see. They don't really work or they don't work really good for services. Like, you know, we're having a huge sale or uh, like Black Friday sale type emails or just blasting out stuff at your customers hoping they buy. And that's for services and for freelancing stuff. Like that's not really, it's not good for the relationship with your customer. One thing that I've also seen is where it's kind of a, you know, you sign up for the email list and it's not dripped out to you, but they get in and they say, hey, I went for a hike the other day and I thought about this and that and I have this object lesson from when I went. And it's something that happened literally yesterday. You just get into the sequence wherever you get in. Yeah, and that's kind of the broadcast way. And that's, you know, if you look at it on like a timeline, like, you know, say you do it every month, that's a, a good one to kind of use. You know, it's May, we're recording this, so like, if you signed up right now and my main newsletter comes out tomorrow, you're going to hear about that, but you're not going to hear about what happened in April or before that. And that's like newsworthy stuff or like you said, like, you know, you went out for a hike and you had this idea, like those are good for that style because it's very timely, very topical, uh, especially if there's like, like major worldwide news or whatever, you can really reference it in there. That's why a lot of people start with that kind of email marketing because it's really easy to, to make it topical. The problem I ran into personally is it feels like a treadmill because I was doing it every week. Like every week I had to come up with something new. Every week I had to write and I had to make it compelling, make it so that my potential clients would get value out of it. And it got really hard. And there's some weeks where I just, I didn't want to do it. Like 
you can ask my wife, I, I dreaded writing some of those emails. And so I kind of didn't put as good of an effort into it. And the emails were worse than they should have been. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I think you need, before you really think about email marketing or any kind of marketing, like you got to look at what your goals are. Like, why do you want to do this? You know, if, if your goal is to just stay busy, like email marketing might not be the best suited thing for you. Um, and it might be, but like for me, at least kind of building a relationship with both clients and potential clients is, is why I do email marketing. Like it's a very long-term marketing strategy, but for relationship building, I haven't found anything better except for like, you know, meeting someone in person. So one thing that I'm curious about, I mean, I know that you've done Redmine in the past and now you're doing Ruby on Rails. I don't know if you've said this out loud openly to other people, but you know, you're looking at doing the email marketing coding solutions for that kind of stuff. And so how do you wind up marketing, say, if you have one or two, you know, more than one target market, or if you have two, your target market kind of overlaps two different areas of interest? Do you create two newsletters or? It's hard. And this is do what I say, not what I do. I actually got started with kind of the broadcast. And like I said, like, you know, news about little stream software this month. And I actually have archives from the first few months I was open and I started with that. And then I started doing kind of a similar, the weekly, it was a, the weekly broadcast for Redmine, like news. And I was giving out tips and stuff like that. Um, and I actually did a second list for that because I figured like, okay, people using Redmine weren't my target clients at that time. And so I actually had two lists. And so then I was doing, you know, I was doing one, one week and I think the other was monthly. And then I kind of got into the freelancing audience, like, you know, like making products and helping freelancers. And so then I had three and it kept expanding, expanding. And eventually it just, it overwhelmed me. And that's where I said, like, I just, I was dreading it every, every week. And I ended up merging almost all of those into one list. And what I do now is I basically say like, okay, this list is about this one topic. Um, if you're interested in other topics, you know, you can send, I have other lists about it, but like I focus on just one audience and also inside that list, I'll actually do some kind of segmenting. So like right now, my list is basically targeted at freelancers, like people who are getting started with freelancing. Um, that can be someone, well, it can be some people who are getting started, some people who have already started, some people who are uh, trying to do it like part-time on the side. And so inside that list, I'll actually let people by clicking links or joining second lists, let them kind of segment themselves into like, okay, well, I'm doing it part-time, so I don't need certain information that is, you know, applicable to only full-time. But I mean, it's hard, like, because you don't, if you send a lot of emails and they're not relevant to a person, like if you're sending topics about Redmine and someone is on the list to learn about freelancing, they're either going to unsubscribe, they're going to mark you as spam, or they're just going to like delete your emails. And so if you ever want to send them something relevant to them, they're not paying attention anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's a balance you have to strike. I've done separate lists. I've merged them. I've done a lot. And I don't don't know, there really isn't a good solution. I think, you know, your, your subscribers might, you know, speak up and tell you if they think it's not working. That's really interesting. And I like the idea of segmenting the lists. Do you want to talk about that for a second for the people who aren't familiar with the terminology? Yeah. So segmenting, I mean, it sounds technical, but it's, it doesn't have to be. It's basically like you have this big group of people and of that, you know, some have a certain interest, some have a different interest and those can overlap. They might not, whatever. And so the idea is kind of like what I said a minute ago is you want to send relevant communication to people. And so if I know someone is working as a full-time freelancer and say, maybe I know that they're working in the U S if I send them an email about new things about moonlighting in the UK, 
they're not going to get any value out of it. It's worthless to them. So if you segment it, so I like, I know like this person cares about full-time stuff. This person cares about um, UK things. I can send certain emails to one group or the other. And I think every uh, email delivery campaign system now has segmenting. Um, you might have to do a bit of work to set it up, but they all have it. And it's pretty easy to say, send it to only these people or these other people. I mean, it's just like with your clients, like you have some clients that are, you know, maybe in one industry, some that are in another, and you might not tell one industry news about that, like something else that's irrelevant. Uh, it's the same idea. One other question I have about segmenting is I keep having this idea that maybe I'd like to serve a particular segment, but I'm not sure. So should I create a segment for that or should I just, should I hold off until I'm, I'm really ready to kind of pull the trigger on that? Or similarly, if it's a segment that I don't ever intend to serve, do I just let those people unsubscribe and, or just, you know, send them the content that I'm sending everybody else? And if it's not relevant, then, then they'll leave. I think a lot of it depends on how big your, your list is. If you have 20 or 30 people on your list or 50, maybe even like 100 or 200, you can do a lot of stuff manually. Like I actually have, I think my list is in the thousands and I still do a lot of stuff manually. What I'd recommend when you first get started segmenting is, especially with a small list, is if you are kind of like, I wonder if there is a large enough segment that cares about cute cat pictures. So you can send an email and ask people to reply or whatever. And based on those actions, like if if you get a bunch of people replying, you can say, okay, everyone that replied is, is interested in cute cat pictures. So you can manually like edit their subscriber accounts in like MailChimp or AWeber and kind of mark that as, oh, this, these people care about cat pictures. And if it's like 80% of your list, then, oh, look, everyone, almost everyone cares about it. That's a large segment. And then on the other hand, if no one cares about it, no one got a hold of you or you saw like a, a bunch of unsubscribes, then you know, okay, cute cat pictures is probably not a good segment for my enterprise customer list. And you can kind of just like phase that out or not worry about it from then on. That makes sense. And I mean, the technical thing in AWeber, you can use custom fields. And so I have one called interests. And so that's just, that's just a list of like what people are interested in. Um, and I just, it's just a comma separated list. So like some actual ones I have is like ebooks, marketing, getting started, developer, designer, um, stuff like that. And so I can actually say like, okay, who, who in my list are developers who are getting started and who subscribed in the past like a week or so? And so I can send a very targeted email to them about something. Yeah, that makes sense. Even if it's a target that, you know, you only send one email specifically to them every once in a while, it, it could be the thing that, that really gets them to buy or become engaged or whatever. Right. And I also, I mean, this is something I do manually. I have another custom field called replies and it's just, it's a number field that, you know, it starts at zero. It's actually, it starts at nothing. And anytime someone replies to one of my emails, I increment it by one. And so at any time I can go in and say like, okay, who in this list has actually replied to me or sent me emails the most? And those are going to be like my most rabid or most true fans. And so uh, I, I haven't done it, but for instance, if I look, I can look in there and say anyone who's emailed me five times or more, I can send them a custom email of like, you're, you're a very special customer to me. Here's an extra discount or here's a, here's a bonus of my, my book that's coming out next week. You get a free copy, you know, whatever. It's the idea of, making your your true really good fans into even bigger fans. And this works the same for clients. You know, if you have a potential client that's emailing you a lot, you can, you know, use these kind of things to track and say, okay, well, I'm going to send them a specific email or even just find out who they are and send them an email out of, you know, Gmail or Thunderbird or whatever, like 
a private one-on-one email. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk, unless you have other questions about this, Curtis. No, I'm just listening and thinking about my own marketing as I do some, again, for freelancers on a weekly basis and not a lot of drip campaigns and nothing really for clients at all outside of what I manually do to touch base with them marketing-wise, which you've talked about in past shows. So. Mm-hmm. Well, here's something I, I'm i going to do, and I, Curtis, I know how your stuff's set up and it might be a recommendation for you. It might be too much work for the value. I've been doing a lot of white papers, or I call them guides just because a lot of people hate the term white paper. Um, and they're on different topics. And so in order to get them, you sign up for uh, my client services newsletter. And so when they sign up, they say, like, I want this guide. And so I know that going into it. And I haven't done it yet because I just, for some reason, I didn't think about it. But I can track that this person wanted this guide when they signed up. And so, like, if they get one that I, I think I just published about email marketing, I know going into it, this potential client has an interest in email marketing, or this one has an interest in hiring remote dev teams or an interest in whatever. And so I can know that going into it. And so I can actually look and say, like, okay, in this list, you know, what percentage of people care about email marketing? And so I can actually focus kind of marketing messages or talk to them directly um, if I want to get a, an email marketing project. And Curtis, for you, like, I know you do a lot of stuff where like your blog stuff goes out to email. So I think it's you're doing like weekly series or whatever on like a certain topic. So you could actually segment like who actually clicks through to the blog um, this week and actually segment that into one group. And you can kind of track like, okay, who cares about what topics? And that can either influence like marketing messages, sales messages, or even just what you're going to write about next week. Yeah. And I've started to look at, I mentioned this a couple of shows ago, Orbiter as well for doing some of that. And I'm not sure if I can actually tie it into MailChimp for my email portion as well. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Like I use a third party service for mine, but I've actually considered just writing a, a simple little app that does it that, you know, it's, it's basically like a, a shortened URL service, but it's shortened URL plus like what email uh, subscriber came from and it just hits whatever API like, you know, AWeb or MailChimp and does, you know, any of the backend stuff. But I mean, you could even do it manually just by you send out this email, you can look at the reports of who clicked and just kind of go into the subscriber and put it in by hand, you know, depending on what volume you send out. So I want to, I want to change tactics a little bit and talk about actually writing the emails. If somebody signs up and they do the double opt-in, which my understanding is that's a good idea. And maybe we should explain what that is really quickly. Essentially, you get an email. Well, when you sign up, you, it sends an email to you that says, hey, you signed up for this uh, newsletter or whatever. Click here to confirm that you want to get our emails before you you know, get blocked or marked as spam or anything. Yeah, and double opt-in is a weird thing. It goes back and forth. Like, you know, you know, It adds an extra step to getting a subscriber actually on your list and able to send stuff to. And so, like, the intention is that way um, I can't just go onto a site and just put in 50 bazillion email addresses and assign people up for newsletters they didn't want. But uh, I know some marketers have actually tested a you know, single opt-in list versus a double opt-in. And it's a weird thing. Like, it, sometimes the you would think that extra step makes it worse. But in some, time, some industries, some audiences, double opt-in actually improves the rate because it makes you feel more legit. Like, you are trying really hard not to send spam. But I, I personally use double opt-in on a lot of things just because I have a really technical audience and I think they they understand it. They're okay going back to their email to do the second step. But I've heard some some businesses that work to a consumer level or non-technical people, double opt-in just kills it because their audiences don't understand how you actually do the second part of the opt-in and they don't understand why they're not getting the emails. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I have seen those opt-in emails go to junk mail and 
cause that problem. I want to get a little bit into actually writing the emails. Are, are there specific tricks or things that you need to pay attention to? For example, I keep hearing that the title or the subject is kind of the critical thing there because essentially that's what people are going to see and decide whether or not they're going to click through and actually read the email. Yeah, right. and I've actually noticed that recently. I've been having my assistant kind of set up my emails for me, and I opt-in rate has halved, or my click-through rate is halved after being like consistent for eight months. So I something I need to get her to learn more about and practice a little more first or continue to practice, edit them myself. It's certainly very true, though. Yeah, I mean, basically writing emails, like, you know, you, you might have to write your content however you write it, but, like, the last stage is you, it's basically copywriting. The subject line is as important as a headline is on a blog post or on a sales page or anything like that. And so, you know, like if you see on Twitter, like someone posts a link with a very boring link to a, a page, you're not going to click it. But if it's very enticing, very, you know, it could even be like the, was it BuzzFeed or whatever, like 33 ways to make sure your dog does a scary tactic or whatever, you know, BS that can actually get people to, in this case, open the emails. The problem you have to run into is if you spin it and it's really, really scammy looking, you might get more people opening the emails, but they're going to hate you. They're not going to respect you. They're not going to do what you want. And so it's a balance. I, I try to make it so the subject line is informative, like this is what the email's about, but I'll, I'll put it in such a way where it's kind of, it might have a bit of mystery around it, or it might be like, you know, straight into the point, like this is the value you're going to get. Or what I've found has been working good for me is kind of the emotional response of like, you know, I'm, I'm teaching this certain information, but why am I teaching it? Am I teaching it so that you don't feel like a failure when you're on the phone with a client? You know, am I teaching it so that you don't run out of money at the end of the month? That sort of thing. Yeah, totally makes sense. As far as the body of the message goes or the actual message goes, I've heard a couple of different schools of thought there. I'd like to hear what you guys think. One of them is David Seitman Garland. He's the guy that does the rice to the top. Anyway, he he sends his emails out and they, they're kind of like just straight text. And so it's, it's, hey, you know, hey, buddy, this is me and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, just text and maybe some pictures of whatever he had going on. You know, go buy my thing. Whereas other folks, you know, they insist that, you know, you, you get a strong brand, you have a strongly branded website, and then um, you have a strongly branded email template that you send along so that, you know, it has your company, you know, information at the top and it looks really professional and, and things like that. And, and I can see trade-offs to them, but I'm, I'm wondering, do you prefer one over the other and why? For mine, I went pretty simple. I used a stock MailChimp template and actually took any of the fancy stuff out of it. So it's a single column of text that would look nice in all your devices. And I even think, I think it was Eric who looked at it on some mobile stuff and we bumped it up the text size after the first few editions just to make it look nicer. So I always go on simple. I have a client who does like a crazy one and it doesn't, like after hours and hours and hours of trying, we sort of got it to maybe work on all email clients. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the basic camp is do you have a kind of a minimal look or do you have you know, a, a pretty visual template. And I fall very much on the minimal side. Um, not all the way. There's actually some people that just send it as text. Like it's plain text. There's no HTML. What I do, I, I started with, I think it was also the MailChimp template because I started with MailChimp before I moved to Aweber. I started with that. And frankly, I mean, I do web development. I know HTML. I know CSS. Like that's my core skill set. But having to put all my content into that template was such a pain and getting the formatting and making it look right. I spent a lot of time testing it on different email clients. 
I, I actually, I hated it. It was a barrier for me to actually get my emails out. Um, since then, I've stolen in a way, but I've taken the idea that uh, what Nathan Berry has and Brennan Dunn has for their emails, where it looks very basic, very plain. It is an, an HTML template, but it's like, you know, basically a body tag, dumping your content in as paragraphs, and then you have links. And that lets me kind of, I can make links look good. I can kind of, I actually bump the font size way up because I want it to be very clear. Um, and the other thing is, is it work, it looks really good on mobile, which mobile and email is kind of the new thing right now. But that way I get kind of, I can do some fancy HTML stuff if I need to. But for the most part, it looks like just a plain email. And I don't remember who said it, but one of them said the reason why is because like, if you get an email from a friend, pretty much they're not going to put a, a standard, hey, how you do an email in a template. Like they're just going to write it. It's going to be plain or it might be kind of the the very uncluttered HTML. So your email marketing, if you kind of follow that thing, you can kind of look like a friend to people and it kind of builds a relationship of, oh, look, you know, Brennan's email looks like how my friend Joe sends it. So, you know, if you, you feel like you're working with less of a company, less of a brand. And for me and for, I know, Brennan and Nathan, that's what they want. They want the more personal, like, there's a person behind this company versus like a big, heavy branded, like Coca-Cola style. And so once again, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier, like, what are your goals with email? Like, do you want to look like a large agency that has, you know, a lot of people, a lot of power behind it? Or do you want to look like a single person that someone can actually communicate with? Yeah, I want to push back just a little bit for, as far as like for me, for freelancing, even if I had an agency and had a whole bunch of people working for me, um, I would probably go the route that you guys are talking about. If I have a product or a brand that I really want to make sort of pop or stick and, you know, I'm tying things very neatly to that brand, then I'd be tempted to go with a little bit more uh, stylized template. However, I don't like the ones that are like six columns and, you know, 40 million rows and, and nine more, nine links that are all read more, click here. You know, for me, it's more along the lines of what you're saying, but maybe with, you know, a banner at the top or something like that, that really just says, Hey, this is, you know, the, for example, if I was going to put an email out for this show, and uh, that's one um, aspect that we're building into, uh, devchat.tv is you get the episodes and so those will probably have like the the freelancer show logo near the top and you know clearly you know this is the freelancer show here's your episode but yeah i probably wouldn't do much more than that beyond typography you know maybe you know making this the the font a little bit bigger and you know clearly communicating what's in there you know i'm not going to put 10 million things in there or a whole bunch of well click this and try this and do this you know it's it's just going to be you know, a, a basic template, but I, I do like the idea of putting, you know, some artwork or something in there, you know, at the top and maybe at the bottom that just kind of wrap it up neatly and say, Hey, you're getting this because you're part of our community. Yeah. And I, I actually, while you're talking at Curtis, Curtis's newsletter came out and mine came out today. So I actually just looked at them both on my iPhone and I know Curtis is using a template and you can kind of see a little bit of the templating aspects, but they look really close. Like my font size is bumped up because I, I focus a lot on readability stuff. But if I didn't know Curtis and like actually look at his, like they have the source for his email, I would think his was kind of, you know, a very plain template or it starts off looking like a personal email too. And one thing you really got to be careful with, and I did this for a long time is to get kind of like a, a specific layout or to get images in there, you either need to a, add them as attachments, which is going to kill your deliverability because it's going to be like, this is spam or people aren't going to open it. 
or you need to have them on a remote site. And if they're on a remote site, not every browser or email client will load images, load that stuff. So your email might come through and because it doesn't have the CSS or anything to put it, put stuff where it needs to be, it's going to look ugly. And uh, especially at the beginning, people might not trust you enough to load remote resources from your email. And so like you might start off on the relationship of sending them an ugly email, asking them to load a bunch of stuff and they might kick back and say, no, I'm not going to. And that's, I have some scripts that clean up mine. So it's very like, there's nothing on a remote server or anything like that, unless it's like, I'm specifically putting in an image for the content. Um, but that's something to kind of keep in mind too. And it comes back to your audience. Like technical people worry about this and I have a system administrator background. So my paranoia is at like a level 11, but some people won't care. Some people, they'll load all the remote images. It doesn't matter to them. And that's, that's kind of, I mean, it, it sucks, especially when you're starting, but it boils down to test it. I mean, you know, send a design to, to half of your list and the other design to the other half. See, you know, there's better open rates or better response on them and, you know, go off of actual data for the people on your list. I really like that. I the you know, the idea and the approach behind that where it's like, yeah, just test it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it, it sucks. I mean, especially because with, when you get started, you have low traffic of anything. So like getting a test that you can rely on takes forever, but that's kind of like marketing thing. There's no actual truism to marketing because all marketing is like, there's a caveat of, well, this might work differently for the people you're talking to. And so, I mean, any, anytime you hear mark people talk about marketing stuff, it always comes back to, well, test it on the people who are actually going to be your customers or your clients or your leads or whatever. Uh, because they might respond differently than the general population. And it might be significant enough that you you go the, a different way than what everyone else is advising. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess one more thing, especially if you're getting started with email marketing, if you don't do a template, um, and even, like, I would actually say just do plain text. Like, um, you know, text plain, I think, is the mime type or whatever. That is so easy to get started with. And all you, I mean, you're just writing. Like, you're going to have to constantly be creating content. So... That's the most purest form. You can start with that, make sure there's like no roadblocks in your way. And then later on, add a template. Once you have more numbers, once you see the value, you know, it's a, it's a lot less of a startup cost versus if you have to do a template and customize it and put your content into it, test it, all that. And so, you know, start, start with the minimal amount of effort you need. And if you see value, then continue. Very nice. One other question I have is, I'm asking this more just out of general curiosity. I've pretty well decided that, for example, sending out emails that there's a new episode that's going to go out every week because we have a new episode every week. Um, and I want to send out like uh, tips, tricks, ideas uh, surrounding whatever the topic is as well to people. And so I'm thinking about sending that every week. But is there a good period that you should repeat on? The one you can maintain for the long term? <laughs> I mean, it, it, once again, it's, you know, test it. Like I do it to build relationships. So if I send an email every quarter or every year, that's not going to build a relationship. People will have forgotten about me. I did it for a while where I was sending every month and that worked okay, but it was slow. Like I, you're either sending them a ton of information to kind of catch them up or you're sending very little and there's a lot of stuff you could have talked about. And so there's a lot of gaps there. I've settled on weekly because if it's my style, I, I've actually built habits around doing stuff every day and every week around it. So it's, it's okay. And I've also, like I said, scaled back and merged stuff. So I don't have that. I must produce every week. If you can, I recommend weekly. Like if you, if you can write, if you can do blog posts and all that stuff, you can do email marketing every week. If you can't, maybe look at every other week or monthly. The hard thing is, is it's, 
when someone signs up, you usually set expectations of, you know, you're going to hear from me every week or every month. And changing that is kind of, it might be a good thing, like they might be okay with it, but it could also just really upset people and you'll get unsubscribes from that. Um, that's what a lot of people complain. It's like, you know, you're, you're sending too much email or whatever. And so people unsubscribe. I actually don't get that that much. I mean, if I'm sending too much email, then their expectations were set wrong or they're not really a good potential client for me because that's where I do a lot of communication. But yeah, I mean, weekly is kind of the gold standard, but if you can't do every week, don't beat yourself up about it and do something you can sustain and figure you're going to do this for 12, 24 months. So, you know, if you can do monthly for that long, great. That's probably what you should start with. One other question I have is, let's say I've been writing a blog for a long time or putting up videos or a podcast or something. Uh, how frequently can I actually reuse uh, information from the blog or podcast or whatever? Like verbatim, like you're taking the entire blog post and putting it in there? or I've, I've seen similar. people do it, but I, I don't know if I would do that. Maybe I'd you know, restate or add something to the blog post, but maybe you can speak to both. I mean, you can. I mean, most people, especially tech people, I mean, that's mostly who my audiences are. Is, you know, they're pretty technical. We go through so much information on a day-to-day -day basis that you're not going to remember something you read six months ago unless it was groundbreaking, like, oh, wow, this is the best post I've read all month. Um, and if that's the case, you send it to them again is probably not a bad thing. And, you know, the, the other thing is if you reframe it instead of just sending, like, verbatim what you wrote last time and say, like, Whatever. I'm, I'll make something like last year I wrote about how you do refactoring in Rails. And since that time, there's been some changes. So first, why don't you go check out what I read last time, send them a link to the blog post, or you don't even put, you know, you can even inline it. And then you can say, well, since that post, I found that points one, three, and five have changed. And so this is kind of the newer, more modern way of doing it that's a lot better. And so you kind of reopen the topic of the last blog post with the idea of I'm going to be updating it, and here's the update. That works. And another thing that works is just a short message of like, hey, for, for all my new subscribers or for people who haven't seen it yet, you know, I have this great blog post on refactoring Rails. Um, if you haven't read it yet, why don't you check it out here and make it really short. You know, most of the value is if you haven't seen it, here it is. And I think any of those three would work. It just depends on your circumstances. And like always, you can always take the, the concept and what you're trying to teach in it, the blog post, and just kind of revise it, rewrite it, and have a new email or a new blog about it. Where should you put I know that the answer is is that you should put it in a pop-up that comes up when your site loads, but where should you put your opt-in uh, form? I have a separate page for mine. I don't do a good job at directing it now. I've got a little bar that scrolls down when you've been on my site for a little while. I was actually just reading in the last week about a site that did a bunch of testing, and the one that they found had the best option was not even the pop-up, because when you weighed the pop-up with how many people just left as soon as they saw it, it was not great. But having it, say, between right at the bottom of your content and before your comments, that's where they found they had a really good opt-in rate. There was a good opt-in rate, and like the, the people leaving the site was really low. So that's actually where I'm going to add mine soon. Yeah, like the, it's the call to action area, like right after the post. Now, can you put it there and have, say, a button or something somewhere that opens it up in a, in a pop-up if, you know, if they click it? Yeah, I was actually reading another thing so a while ago about having a, I want to sign up for it, and then the button triggered the pop-up, and that was even better than putting the form right down. Although, again, you should be testing there as well. Yeah, there's a lot of research done on this. Um, one marketer I follow a lot of is Clay Collins. He had a business, and he actually changed it, and he's doing like a startup now called LeadBright. They do 
what they have a lead player, which is like a video player, and their big flagship product is lead pages, which is like landing pages. And so he used to do a lot of really heavy math statistical stuff for his clients, optimizing their campaigns, and they would share it with people. Um, and with lead pages, it's gotten even more insane. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's an interview with the group from Startups Startups for the Rest of Us with Clay that kind of goes through what he's seen in the more modern stuff. And I use lead pages. I'm a, I've been a customer since they were founded. And there's a lot of different ways, but the ways that I'm finding that works the best are kind of like what Curtis said, you have like a little thing in the, the bottom that either it pops up, not pops up because pop is frank, uh, it like kind of shows up and slides up as you reach a certain area or actually it starts with the rest of us has this too. It's something, a drip widget where it's, it hangs out down there and then it kind of will open itself up and it's like a little self-contained. From what I understand of everyone who's using that stuff, it works really good. The other thing that Clay's been saying a lot of is he calls it a, a two-step opt-in or yeah, two-step opt-in process. And it's basically, if you've ever seen websites that have like on the sidebar of like, you know, here's a form subscribe for updates. Um, that's the one step like, you just go and subscribe. The two-step is where it's an actual button. Like it might look like a little uh, banner ad or something like that, um, but it's some kind of graphic. You click it and it opens like a light box, which is like a, a pop-up inside the page. And that's where the form is. And listen to this episode. It talks a lot about the psychology behind it, but it's it's the basics of a giving and taking. If there's an opt-in form on the page, you kind of think about it like, oh, this person is really trying to get my email address. And you know, you it kind of makes you be a bit more reserved versus if there's actually a button and you click it, you're more likely to fill it in. I've been doing a lot of what Clay's recommending. Also, at the end of a post works good. And some of my opt-in numbers are insane. Like I've gotten one what was that? I think it was like a 70% opt-in rate. Like it, I couldn't believe how high it was. And, you know, it depends on your market and I'm doing a lot of testing. So that's a matter. But if you can try all of them, I mean, pop-ups, like actually a pop-up widget or an actual a new window kind of piss a lot of people off, but your audience that might be okay with. And some people get great responses. Some people, it drives everyone away. No one wants to share your site. Yeah, the other thing to remember there, too, is you're going to get a lot of vocal people. I know I used to have, um, what was it called, a grow box. So when you scrolled far enough down the page, the form slid up out of the bottom of the page off to the side, and I felt fairly intrusive. But I had one guy, and like it was probably a 3,000-word tirade with profanity about how I was just a scumbag for doing that to him <laughs> on my site. I looked at that, and I was like, I feel bad. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, I don't. You're an idiot. Yeah. I mean, I have a pet peeve of the lightbox pop-ups that come up automatically. I'm okay with them, but a lot of times the website is not mobile responsive or it's not mobile, whatever, optimized, and the lightbox isn't. And so I'm trying to hit this X that is like three pixels on my phone. And so I actually have to zoom in. Some of them let you like kind of tap outside of it to close it, which is a good thing. But I've seen some where you actually have to hit the X exactly. And like I've hit some of those sites and just hit bounce back. And that's actually a good way to tell if you're doing the, the aggressive pop-up in your face stuff is if you can put it on one page, put it on one page and watch your bounce rate and your time on page. If that shoots up, like if the pop-up starts at like 20 seconds and everyone leaves at 23 seconds, you know your pop-up's pissing people off and they're getting driven away. I mean, but it, it depends on the market. And I mean, I, I try to have a very laid back. I, I push people up to opt in because I think there's a lot of value there, but I don't like put it in their face. And that's just, that's the balance I found that works. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, I guess to kind of go all the way back to your question, like the big areas are kind of in your header area. Like, you know, you have your, maybe you have your logo on the left side of the, your web page, have an opt in on the right. 
on the sidebar, like basically above the fold type idea. After the post is really good, kind of at the bottom, but at the bottom where it's in your viewport. So like how Curtis's slides up or like uh, the drip widget is actually always hovering down there. That's a good one. And then I actually use dedicated landing pages for a lot of stuff. So I'll just, I'll have a normal link going off to the landing page and then that's where someone will opt in. That's pretty much most of them that I've seen and I've used most of the, the latter ones I've talked about. So one more question and that is uh, email providers. So you know, you have different providers like AWeber, MailChimp. I actually use Office Autopilot or Entreport, which has a lot of these features built in. You know, it has all the segmenting and stuff. Are there pros and cons to, to them? I've used MailChimp briefly. I didn't love it. I used AWeber for a long time, and it was a lot nicer, at least in my opinion. But, yeah, I'm just not sure where to tell people to go because... Uh, Entreport or Office Autopilot is a few hundred dollars a month, and it does a whole lot more. It's a full-on CRM. Um, and so if you want something like that, then, uh, you know, go check it out. But otherwise, you know, what what do you tell people to go use? I'm investigating Orbiter, which I've mentioned before. And after having a talk with a friend of mine who his company, which is a huge software company, uses Entreport um, and has tried, like, Pardot and everything. That's really expensive. He personally was moving down to Orbiter because that's what he felt had all the features he really needed from that out of his main job, um, but just for his personal stuff. And that's significantly cheaper. It's $99 a month. I want to prefix this one thing, because this, is, this isn't brought up enough unless you follow email marketing and you're in it enough. A lot of the features that the different providers have are nice, but that doesn't matter Like in the long run. I, like I said, I've, I've worked as a system administrator in a past life, and I actually manage an email cluster and we were actually we started actually sending out email newsletters from our basically our, our outlook smtp server so it came from our main ip addresses and we got blacklisted so many times and i mean it was it was the kind of thing like we didn't know what was going on until we actually started questioning people and it was someone on their computer was using outlook and doing bcc cc for the newsletters the most important thing of any email provider is their deliverability you can find someone that has the most awesome features but if their email sending servers have been blacklisted, that means your emails aren't going to be getting to people and they're, they might be getting to people marked as spam. I mean, that can, that's basically your, that kills your market. If you can't reach the people who even want to hear from you, your email marketing is worthless. And so with that said, I, I try to stick with kind of well-known providers or providers where I have a good relationship with them. You know, that's not to say like a new startup can't come out and actually make a great product and have good deliverability, but they haven't been running a long time, so that's a that's a little bit of a risk you have to take. Um, and I'm not going to bash anyone who I who I know has really bad deliverability, but I tell you know small business and freelancers to either use Aweber or Mailchimp. Both of them do a, a really great job on it. I started with Mailchimp and went to Aweber for feature reasons. The deliverability was fine. I, I'm very happy with Aweber, but either one of those is great to start with. Entreport, I've heard some good things about them, some bad things, but I think their deliverability is up there too. Other providers, hit or miss. I mean, you're going to find people that hate them or like them. But uh, you know, if you pick one that has great deliverability, especially there's a way for you to actually get a trial account and test it, that's actually going to help you out a lot. And after that, then it's just you know whatever features of the, those would work. But if you kind of remove people that have really bad deliverability, you're going to find there's, there's not very many you have to pick from. Yeah, one thing that I looked at just today was that Orbiter does connect with MailChimp. So 
they have a WordPress plugin and you can actually create your MailChimp emails right from in the WordPress admin and send it off through Orbiter and through MailChimp. And they do segmenting or they call it Orbits, which is circles and Google Plus are tagging. So you can actually tag it, tag people, and then you can even um, change how your marketing goes on your site. So I don't have enough data yet to really dive into that. I have the WordPress plugin installed to start collecting all that data for the last little while. Yeah, and that's that's a good thing I've seen a lot of companies do now where you know MailChimp, Aweber, and a couple others have great deliverability and they have an API and their API in terms of service allow third parties to send through their system. Um, so if you can hook it up through that so you know you have a known good system and you can use, say, Orbiter where it's better features that you want but sending through MailChimp, like that's like the best of both worlds. I mean, you're probably paying a bit more and it's probably a bit more complex and you know you might have more bugs here and there, but if that's features you need versus if you go with Orbiter and maybe, I don't know them, but maybe their deliverability is not as good as MailChimp. And there's a half a dozen different kind of infrastructure as a service companies that provide email deliverability. And so some of the better startups are actually using those like SendGrid or Mailgun or there's a third one that I use, I forget the name. Um, so, you know, those services have great deliverability. And so a new startup can actually use that to get great deliverability and build features or build a system that however they want. Um, so that's another thing to look at. But I mean, I, I would, if you're getting started or if you feel overwhelmed, pick MailChimp or AWeber. I mean, flip a coin if you don't, if it feels like the same thing. I mean, they're, they're pretty equal as far as what they do. Yeah, that makes sense. What's the third party that you use for your stuff? You said you use a third party to do the segmenting and things? So for the segmenting, I use um, a tool called AWeber Pro Tools. Basically, you get custom links that are associated with an email address. And so I can track that this specific subscriber clicked this link. And so I can do custom actions. So I can I can tag people. I can move people to a different list. I can copy, you know, that sort of idea. And so basically it's... It's the idea of like there's a certain trigger of someone clicked a link or they visited a specific web page and the action is, you know, doing something in the mail system. And for the most part, I just tag people, like I said, that interest thing I was talking about earlier. I just tag them and add like this person cares about email marketing. I don't do a ton of automation around it because it's some of this is just easier to do manually. But um, Aweber Pro Tools, it only hooks up with Aweber, obviously. I know Office Autopilot or Entreport, they do kind of this stuff built in. So that's a, a nice feature they have. Yeah, they do the segmenting and the links and everything, all of that built in. So it's it's pretty awesome. Are there any other things that we should cover with this that we haven't? I mean, like I said, the important thing is writing in the email. Like all the technical, the integration aspects, like it's fun if you like that sort of thing, but it's that doesn't actually deliver the value. What delivers the value is your email, um, how you write it, what you're doing. And I kind of come on the stance of I try to educate people. I try to give education, training, that sort of thing in my email. And that's 90, maybe 95% of my emails. And then, you know, the other five or 10% is more marketing related. Like, you know, I have a new book out or I'm doing a launch or I'm looking for new clients type stuff. And a lot of that is just because I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy educating people, training people. So I produce more of that content than a lot of the sales messages. And even though I do a lot of email stuff, I actually kind of fall down a bit on the sales side, just you know, just because it's, I, I'd rather be helping people than pushing really hard. But it's, it's important to kind of figure out what's going to work for you, what's, what style, how you're going to write it, all that. Um, and the nice thing is you can decide today to do email marketing and spend the next few days, the next few weeks actually writing your emails and don't even worry about signing up for a system or hooking all that stuff up and just write a series of emails you want to send out. And so when you sign up, you have that ready to go and you can load it up and you can maybe, 
have a month or two months worth of content done for you right when you start. So it doesn't feel like this, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this feeling. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we're, let's go ahead and do the picks. Curtis, you want to start us with the picks? Sure. I'm going to pick Double Your Freelancing Rate version two, which just launched today by Brennan Dunn. I read this shortly after the first one came out and it really helped me change my thinking about how I was charging freelancing and helped me up my rate. I think at the time I was happy to even move from like 50 to $75 an hour. And yes, and Eric, you were in version one for sure. I remember that. Was I? I don't remember. You were in version one. You were a case study. I And I'm actually in version two um, as a video interview in version two. Trying to one-up me now, huh? Always. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? Okay, my picks... One is a, a service I know the founder, Rob Walling. Um, it's Drip. It does email marketing. He's targeting SaaS companies, but I signed up for it, and I've been kind of working a lot with him on some new features he's rolling out. He's talked about them publicly, but they're not actually live, but he's bringing out a lot of the tagging automation stuff that um, we were talking about, like that I use Aweber Pro Tools with and Chuck uses with Entreport. The nice thing about Drip, it's very focused on the autoresponder style of like, you know, you have a series of five or six emails. And I found, at least for client services, like that's been working really good for kind of like a someone comes to my site, they don't know me, and I want to introduce myself. And so I actually do it through email now, and it's been working really well. You know, low numbers, but that's kind of expected for heavy custom development services. But Drip's really good. They're, I would say it's probably the easiest to get started with system I've seen. The editor and all that's really simple. And they have that little, like the little widget I talked about at the bottom that you can get a pretty good sign-up rate just from embedding that. So that's kind of my pick for today. Uh, you can use them, you know, their system as it is, or you can integrate them with MailChimp and Aweber to send stuff through that. Um, or kind of like what I said earlier, you could, if you want to use just MailChimp or Aweber to do this by hand too, those are good options. Oh, and then a second pick, it's kind of relevant, kind of not. Chuck mentioned I'm doing a, I'm doing custom development for email marketing for you know larger software companies. I actually wrote a white paper guide about like the absolute minimum email marketing that they need. I was thinking about it through the show. It might actually be relevant to freelancers. So I'll put a link in the show notes of how you can get that. Um, you can just email me if you want to. It's just a PDF. So it's free, no obligation, or any of that stuff. Very cool. All right. I've got a couple of picks. Uh, the first one, we talked about how important it is to have a good uh, headline or subject on your email. So I'm going to pick headline hacks. It's done by, I think it's done by the copy blogger folks. I'm trying to remember, but it is, it is wicked good. It's got like 52 ideas or something uh, of ways to get better headlines. You can also use this for conference titles or blog post titles. So if you're uh, doing a call for proposals or something like that, then it's good to just flip through it and get an idea. Okay, that's right. This is the kind of stuff I want to do in the headline. Another one that I'm going to pick is the HTML email boilerplate. If you look at it, it's like this massive uh, inline uh, CSS style and then like this little space for you to put your uh, body in. But the the thing that's interesting about it is that uh, I've talked to a friend of mine who worked for a company that did deliverability stuff. And so they get really awesome deliverability. And he said that this email boilerplate is a good basis for emails because it will basically set it up so that you won't get flagged for reasons linked to your layout. You know, you still have the other issues, too many links, too many attachments, the wrong kind of attachments and all that stuff that will get you flagged. But sometimes there's just stuff that's wrong with your layout that isn't clean that this fixes that make it so that you have better deliverability. 
And so I'm going to pick that. And the last one I'm going to pick is I've been looking around at different ways to get a, a standing desk. And I have this IKEA standing desk thing that I set up, but I don't always use it as much as I ought to. And I'd really like a desk that I can actually just, you know, flip a switch on or, you know, push a button on and it, you know, it raises up and then push the other button and it goes back down. And uh, I found an article and I'll put that in the show notes as well on how to build your own standing desk, electric adjustable height desk. And what they did is they got some linear actuators and then they just built the rest from scratch out of pine wood. And it looks really, really good. And so I'm, I'm really considering trying to do something like this myself. So, um, disclaimer, I haven't used this, <laughs> but, uh, non-disclaimer, I really want to. So that being said, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And those are my picks. So thanks for all of your wisdom and knowledge, Eric. Yeah, it's just stuff I've learned. I mean, it changes all the time. You know, I, I'm not an expert by any means on you know the marketing side of it. I know how the technical stuff works, but you can learn like you know, 10, 20% of it and actually be effective with it. And I hope that I gave you enough of that. Yeah, I think you did. There's a lot of actionable stuff here that we can go after as we get started with it. So. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone has questions or like they want me to look at how they're doing it, you know, shoot me an email. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure I'm on the sidebar of the site or somewhere. Like it's, I'm pretty public with that and I can look at things. I've done that for a few people already, you know, helping them target on what clients are looking for. Yep. And if you work for a software company that needs help with their email setup, then Eric's your man. Yep. Yes, I am. All right. Well, I guess we're done. We'll catch y'all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.